0: .org. Enjoy.
1: Good morning. My name is Adara Goldberg, and I am the director of the Holocaust Resource Center at Kane University in Union, New Jersey. I am so excited to be here for today's podcast with Dr. Joanna Sleva who is the historian at the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany um, or Claims Conference in New York. And we are here today to talk about Joanna's extraordinary publication, Jewish Childhood in Krakow, a microhistory of the Holocaust. And what I can say for those of you who have not read the book yet, is you are missing out and you need to run out right now because Dr. Sleva presents an impeccably researched, inclusive and compassionate recounting of a largely unknown piece of history, um, namely the experiences of children and youth um, who experienced life within the Krakow ghetto and flash concentration camp. And we are just so lucky to be here today and to really be able to start to grapple with some of these themes and understand a little bit more about why historians choose the topics that they do. Um, So Dr. Sliva, thank you so much for letting me have this conversation with you.
0: Uh, Thank you, Dr. Goldberg. And I think we will not pretend that we don't know each other. Um, So I think if we are on first name basis, it's fine. Um, So thank you, Adara, so much for these, uh, for the kind introduction and um, for the kind words about, um, about my book.
1: Wonderful. And, you know, in the full disclosure, you know, Joanna and I, we've known each other since 2008, when we were both graduate students at the Strassler Center at Clark University. And I remember meeting you and immediately being struck um, by this, you know, Polish woman who had so much knowledge um, and passion um, for her native country, for the history of that country, and for illuminating that history. For those of us um, who really came from a very um, sort of North American, uh, Western centric uh, viewpoint. And I always knew that, you know, somehow the work that you did was going to connect to Poland. Um, But I don't really know how you got there. And, you know, I'd love if you can tell us a little bit more sort of about yourself and. What inspired you to begin this research journey?
0: Uh, so, of course, uh, there are always different paths that uh, lead um, historians to do um, to do what they do, to undertake their topics, and you know, you mentioned. Um, my being Polish. And of course, like that shaped my interest um, about what happened in my home country um, during 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 World War Two during the Holocaust, of course, personal, personal history. Uh, shapes what we do. Um, I was interested in the experiences of children, such as uh, such as my own grandfather, like what he went through. Um, but it, what I really want to talk about is what led me to this particular topic of Jewish children in Krakow, in particular. Like why Krakow? Why Jewish children? So one of the one of the uh, one of the reasons is visual culture, right? Uh, and I was I was inspired in a way uh, by Schindler's List, which is not too original. Um, by Schindler's List and one image, uh, the only colored image in that film of the gre- of the girl in the red coat. And to me, looking at this, of course, it was very, you know, very moving, moving and um, sparked a lot of emotions back then, You know, when I saw the films many, film many years ago. But it also made me question, like, what happened to these children? How did they live during, uh, during the Holocaust? What did they do during the day? Um, did they have any interactions with other, with other children? What were the adults around them doing for, you know, safeguarding the children, for protecting the children? What were the, what was the Jewish community doing? What were Gentile poles, like non-Jewish poles, doing? You know, the former nannies, maids, household help, uh, colleagues, co-workers, business partners of um, of the Jewish parents, and ordinary people, neighbors, strangers. Um, what were their responses? And so that's, so that's one thread of it. And the other one is that I am just I was just very interested in and still am interested in the experiences of marginalized groups. And to me, children um, have been traditionally you know marginalized in scholarship. And of course, yes, we can say there are diaries published and memoirs that are written from the perspective of, of an individual child, right? But what I was looking for is an integrated history of of children. Like what do these children's experiences tell us about the larger history of a a city in my my case, right, of Kraków, but also of, of a country, of relations among people. These are the kinds of questions that I was interested in. And you
1: know. Like I too, you know, I've always been interested in those who are otherwise deemed forgotten or invisible. And that was something that really struck me in the book was the terms, you know, concealment. Um, because again, these children were concealed, but they were also visible. They were there. We know they were there. And, you know, it made me think as I was reading, of, uh, you know, both of our, you know, our advisor and mentor, um, Deborah Dwork, and some of the groundbreaking work that she did on children. Um, And it made me think, or or question, um, you know, that book was written less than 30 years ago. We are now in 2022. We're pretty far out. And, you know, how did that research or other research really support or um, propel your own?
0: And that is just such an excellent question because um, Professor Dwork, Deborah Dwork, um, and her research has had a profound uh, impact on, on, on me and my thinking about the Holocaust, about, um, about sources, about how we you know, analyze those sources to tell um, Holocaust history. And in fact, it was Dr. Professor Dwork's book, Children with a Star, Jewish Youth in Nazi Europe, that um, that was the first book that I read about children's experiences, and that really set me on the path of wanting to know more and seeing that, you know, you can write a history about children during the Holocaust. You can use um, personal testimonies, uh, accounts of child survivors, and also, you know, memoir, the diaries of children that did not survive um and to me that was eye-opening you know how do you use those sources um and so in, in this way of course uh the professor works research has been um so influential and of course since then um there's been uh ongoing uh ongoing research uh about children you know not only you know uh Professor Dwork's research was not on, you know, it was not on Poland, it was on Jewish youth in Nazi Europe and various uh, in various countries about survival strategies, uh, patterns of persecution. Um, And since then we have research about, you know, Joanna Michlitz, another historian who's focused specifically on on Poland and on children's recollections on how to um, how to analyze um, Early Post immediate post war accounts of 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 child survivors, um, and of course there's been you know collections, anthologies of, of children's writings that have been discovered over the years, translated and made available, and this has really. Enlarged our understanding um, of children's experiences during the Holocaust. What children thought, how, what choices did they make? How did they respond? What roles did they take on? Uh, and there is still more to be done. Uh, and I hope the research will continue, and other scholars will be inspired to take on this path. And you know.
1: Something you, you raise, and it's I think a lesson that we both came from a certain school of thought, um, which not everybody is trained in, is to honor individual accounts. Um, and that's something that, you know, traditionally if we were only focusing again on, you know, perpetrator records, um, you know, official community records, there's so much that's missing, particularly when it comes to a marginalized person or peoples. And something that struck me and, you know, as I was reading, you know, Jewish Childhood in Krakow, I'm like taking these notes and I have asterisks everywhere, um, every time you reassigned agency to these youth, um, because something that, you know, I think most of us are taught to believe is, you know, what we know about children in the Holocaust is that some 1.5 million, you know, or roughly 90% of Jewish children were murdered. And I think because we hear this very, very large number and high proportion, um, we forget that, A, this this means a number of things. This means that roughly 10%, um, depending on the population, the location, um, may have survived. Um, It also, I find that we forget about these accounts that survived when the individual Um, producer or archivist or writer did not and so something that struck me was the sensitivity um, in which you showed to those individuals in those cases it would have been very easy for an author to write about these children as being solely vulnerable um, persecuted um, and rather you made a point of honoring um, their agency and empowering them for making not only the decisions that they made um, because i think at one point you reference you e. lawrence langer and this notion of choiceless choices a child may have been told to go out and find food for their family um, but there's that missing piece that you managed to address which is these children still had to make a choice into how they behaved they made a choice as to whether they would listen to parents um, or caregivers or protectors we told them to conceal themselves, um, to go out and put themselves in grave danger to support their family. These were still decisions that they made um, and actions that they took. And too often in Holocaust literature, um, we forget about that. We think about the adult actors. And I think about this notion of a ghetto police officer um, allowing people to pass in and out of the ghetto. And it seems like such a passive act, um, this notion that they, they were allowed to when in fact it was so much more complex than that. And, you know and this was just something that again, um, you did in such a way that as a person that works very closely with survivor narratives and with honoring those individuals, I was touched by, and that their voices truly were front and center. And you know it made me curious. Um, you know, we are now in, again, we're in 2022, and you began your doctorate in 2008. And the war ended in 1945. We have these huge gaps in time that, you know, unfortunately, the reality is most of the individuals who would have survived, um, you know, in Krakow, whether they be the children, whether they be those care workers, um, yeah, you know, other you know internees, um, they are no longer with us. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about your sources and you know where you went to create such a you know an integrative and cohesive narrative.
0: So thank you so much, Adara, for you know kind of. Putting this all in a, you know, in, in so, so eloquently about what this book really is about, right? About this, um, about children's agency and choices. And thank you for for recognizing this because that's something that I um that I really thought about and really wanted to uh, put forward in this um uh, in, in, in this book, because these are the kind, this is the kind of information that emerged from the sources. Um, Right. And so as I was listening, as I was reading, as I was speaking to um, survivors, you know, they, these instances of I went out to smuggle um, food and then bring them in for my family. I did this like or my parents told me that I had to do this or this was expected of me. Um, you know, this to me showed um, showed agency, of course. And you're right that when we think about young people, Um, In times of these humanitarian crises, um, in times of genocide, I'm thinking about the Holocaust, you know, children um, uh, tend to be, maybe not any any more so much because we know more, um, but tended to be uh, represented even in, in, in visual material in photographs as victims, right? They um, as victims, but we didn't know much about um, much about their lives and how rich their lives were um, and the decisions they made during, uh, during their persecution. So in terms of uh, in terms of sources, so I, I keep mentioning you know accounts, of course, oral histories. And written accounts, memoirs, and diaries, and these are sources written in different languages, and of course, or produced in th- different languages. So we have English, of course, yes, for survivors who settled in um, in the U.S. and who recorded their oral histories in uh, in English. But I also have many sources in Polish, and I have some in Yiddish, and in and in Hebrew. Um, not so much uh, in German, but um, in those other languages, yes. And so my book relies heavily on these um, on these oral histories because this is a story about children. Like how are you going to learn know what happened to these children if not uh, from hearing? And, uh, from these children, from listening to them, from reading what they have to, um, what they have to say, this kind of information about daily life of children, how they played, um, um, what they thought about um, about their daily activities of smuggling or of having to conceal themselves, of working, of lying about their age. Um, this, this is type of information that you're not going to get from um, adults, like from parents who survived, from official documentation, from records of uh, of Jewish community, from orphanages, right? It's 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 it, 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 it's 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 not going to come across from it, um, so. But also, like, in order to write a, a, cho- a history about children uh, during the Holocaust, so it's not, of course, um, enough to rely on, uh, on personal accounts, but really to think more broadly. Where is the information about children? And one of the most interesting um, uh, sources for me was the propaganda newspaper Propaganda, I say, because this was the only uh, newspaper approved and allowed by the German authorities for the Jews in the General Government in the German um, German-occupied Poland, and that was Gazeta Żydowska, Jewish newspaper. And these were they, it had a collection of various information, announcements from all over gen, the General Government, and there was always one section about Kraków. Well, Kraków was the capital of the general government. So of course it had its own section. And in that section, Jewish editors um, wrote about, um, you know, wrote about uh, various shelters and um, for children, um, what, was being, what was being done for the children, about there was a children's corner, you know, where children could kind of maybe solve puzzles or um, read texts that were geared specifically toward children. And that to me was such an interesting um, source and underutilized, I think, uh, because it was, it's been viewed by, and it it was, um, you know, a propaganda tool. But I think we have to really read uh, closely those texts and see what the authors were trying to tell us in between the lines. There was an entire discussion on the pages of the Jewish newspaper about the role of education and for children. How is this education supposed to be organized? And what should be taught? In what language should it, should be, should it be taught? Um, what is the role of education for the future? What kind of Jews do we want to create um, you know, after this war ends? So to me, it's like they were thinking about the future in 1942. They were thinking the war would end, hoping the war would end, right, and that there would be children and they needed to be educated, they needed to have an identity, a Jewish identity, that they could be, um, they could be proud of. Um, so these are only the, uh, you know, I just mentioned like, two types of sources that were very um, important in my research and also very, very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I thought reading about um, the gazettes, was fascinating because everything that we know about the reality um, for Jewish children um, in Nazi occupied Europe uh, informs us that there was no intended future for them um, from the Nazi's perspective. Um, They were not supposed to live. Um, Their time on earth was limited and so this idea that um, this promotion again in an approved propaganda newspaper Um, and I saw that as also a way you know I was fascinated by the campaigns um, for trying to support the um, social service networks and it made me question you know these were inward so I understand that external funding was coming in at least until um, America entered the war but this idea that funds were being requested um, from Krakow residents to support these children's you know, Jewish education in the future, um, and it made me wonder did funds actually come was there any indication that the community you know in the ghetto was able to contribute to any of these campaigns?
0: Yes, and this is another great topic that I uh, that I really enjoy talking about because um, in the course of this research I I, I kind of came across this um you know a lot of information about social, social care for, for children something that we didn't know about before this is something that is completely new i've never seen anything um you know written about about this in, in so much detail as to addresses you know where were these shelters where were these children's homes uh located where were they transferred from the city to the ghetto and then within the ghetto to which locations which also you know helps us imagine and kind of play it you, you put these places in perspective and maybe you know these places this part of the city has not been in krakow has not been uh destroyed so you can go you can kind of you know follow these paths and and see the buildings uh, most of the time in any case um when, when it comes to the, these campaigns so child welfare was extremely important in uh krakow and for the and for the community there and the ordinary ordinary krakowian jews they found great pride in in supporting these endeavors so they had very little themselves and being impoverished um, and um, you know, not being able to take their belongings with them into the into the ghetto, and struggling themselves with food, with getting clothes, and and so on, and still uh, they managed. Ordinary ordinary Jews in the ghetto still managed to support uh, support the uh, the children who were child refugees, Jewish refugees from other areas. Um, children who were orphaned, who were half half orphaned. There are reports about the destitute situation of children in in the Kraków ghetto, in a shelter for refugees. Um, so destitute were these children that they didn't have shoes, so they couldn't really uh, they couldn't really exit those shelters and go to a soup kitchen. Uh, they couldn't really you know meet with their peers. They were confined to the shelters because they didn't. They didn't have shoes. They didn't have proper clothing. Um, so, and this kind of brings me to uh, to the issue of of Krakow again. You know why is it significant? Krakow was a it, it was it still is but was a medium sized city. You know this was not the war. This was, this was not Warsaw. Um, the ghetto in Krakow was not the Warsaw ghetto. Uh, in all, there were about 25,000 uh, Jews in the Krakow ghetto who passed through the ghetto between 1941 and, and 1943. And of those 25,000, around 2,500 were children. Um, and the significance here is that most of the Jews who entered the Krakow ghetto, actually, all the Jews who entered the Krakow ghetto when the ghetto was created in March 1941, around 11,000 Jews. Those were Jews from Kraków, so they transferred their family, social, uh, professional connections networks into um, into the ghetto. Um, later on, there were you know, children and adults uh, who uh, who received the order uh, to move into the ghetto from surrounding localities. Right in, um, in around October uh, October 1941. So there were. S- Jews from outside of, uh, of Krakow, but still there was in, an importance of the existence of networks, social networks, welfare networks, professional networks, family networks, and Jews drew, drew, drew upon uh, those um, those connections, those uh, those networks to assist uh, children uh, children in the ghetto. And also, let's remember the location of the Krakow ghetto, which um, there were surrounding villages. Uh, near uh, near Krakow, so for for Jews, adults and children who kind of uh, you know, exited the ghetto in the clandestine way, uh, and then bartered for food, uh, bought food, and then smuggled them smuggled it back inside. You know uh, the existence of villages nearby facilitated um, this. Uh, you know the the kind of um, access to uh, to food, right? So these were all important uh, important factors.
1: I think it, it's fascinating, and it also sheds so much more light into why Krakow um, for this work. Um, and you know, on the subject of you know thinking about so those individual actors, um, were there any um, children as you were conducting your research whose experiences jumped out to you? we all have our people um, whose stories stay with us and I'd love to hear about yours.
0: This is such a hard question because I've listened to hundreds of testimonies and, um, and, and stories and I would like to remember each and every one of them of the stories and the people and it was so hard to select the source stories that that I highlighted in the in my book. And I really there were so many stories. I don't think I feel comfortable selecting, uh, you know, one particular story um, to focus on. But I think one that I that 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 is also um, that is also in the book is the story of. Yanka uh, Varshavsta. And I mention her often in, in whenever I would talk because how extraordinary this young girl was and the fact that she left a detailed um, account of her persecution that really allows us uh, and allowed me to learn about her you know her thinking at the time, her choices, her techniques <laughs> of um, of getting out of the ghetto and doing what she was doing, uh, but also how she understood her role uh, and how she explained what allowed her to engage in the endeavors that she did. And there is an interesting story connected to this uh, to this account, um, and the story is that. Um, Professor Shelley Tenenbaum, who's a professor of sociology at Clark University, I, you know, I met with her, I took a class with her at some point, and she asked, you know, what are you working on, and I explained that it was about children, uh, Jewish children in, in Krakow, and she said, well, my family, you know, is from Krakow, and, um, and Professor Tenenbaum uh, told me about her aunt, uh, Janka Brzyszkowska, and that she had her, you know, a copy of her uh, of her account, and this is how it all started. I did not know about this source, so I know it from Professor Tenenbaum, and I credit her with uh, with that. And this was a- another, you know, eye opening uh, moment for me. Um, and Janka was only a teenager uh, when she entered the Kraków ghetto, and together with her sister, she started these smuggling missions. Why Janka and why her sister? Well, both of them had the so-called good looks, and they knew Polish very well. They knew their geography of the city. And they, you know, as as children, also like children, well, young children, right, they may not have recognized or all the dangers that they were putting themselves into Uh, and that was very that was a very important factor so Yanka uh, the why I mentioned her story and how exceptional it was because Yanka not only smuggled food into the ghetto she was then smuggling out Jewish children from the ghetto onto the so-called Aryan non-Jewish side and placing them with, um, with Polish, um, you know, Pol- Polish people who, who, are su- who are supposed to um, uh, protect these children, shelter them, right? And so to me, that was, you know, speaking about the roles that children took upon themselves as breadwinners, but also as rescuers. So here, there's another notion that kind of jumped at me when I was doing this uh, research and reading uh, Yanka's, uh, Yanka's account was um, the notion of Jews as Jews as rescuers of other Jews, something that I don't think we talk enough about.
1: It, it sounds like Yanka's story could be the launch pad for a book in and of itself.
0: I think so, I think so.
1: And, you know, speaking of, you know, books and moving forward, uh, what is next for you? What have you been working on since finishing Jewish Childhood
0: at Krakow? I've been working on two projects. So one is, one is a story about a Polish Jewish woman from Lviv, today, today's Ukraine, uh, before that Poland. Uh, who was a professor of mathematics at the Jan Kajimir University, and uh, you know, and she was—I mean, she was—she had a doctorate in mathematics from the Jan Kazimierz University in Lviv. She was teaching um, uh, in the interwar period, and right in the fall of 1941, she, as the ghetto was being created in Lviv, she managed to escape from the city with her husband. Uh, to Lublin. Uh, their contact there was a Polish count, um, a member of the aristocracy, and um, Janina, that was her, um, that's her name, uh, she assumed the identity of a Polish countess. She also joined the main welfare council. This was the German-approved Organization that was tasked with uh, providing relief assistance uh, to Poles, Polish people, non-Jews, uh, and she also joined the Polish underground, uh, the Home Army, and in this role, Janina was helping refugees in Lublin and in the in the district, but more most importantly, she was helping prisoners. At the, in the Maidanek concentration camp, she was negotiating with the Germans, with the German authorities, to provide relief, assistance, food, clothes, medicine to prisoners, Polish prisoners um, in Majdanek and to prisoners in other camps, um, you know, transit camps in Lublin, and in the prison, um, in the really brutal prison in Lublin. And this is a story that is based on a memoir that Yanina wrote after the war. And this is a project I am working on with another historian, Dr. Elizabeth White uh, from the Holocaust Museum in DC.
1: And what is project number two?
0: Uh, project number two, uh, you know, we began by talking about uh, what drove me to, kind of motivated me to engage in Jewish childhood, to write about Jewish childhood in Krakow, and so about marginalized groups. And another marginalized group that um, that I am very much interested in, and that and that emerged in the course of my work, first at the JDC, the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee, and now at the Claims Conference, and that is elderly, um, elderly Jews, older Jews, uh, during before, during, and after uh, and after the Holocaust. And this is a project that I am working on with our colleagues, um, Dr. Christine Schmidt from the Wiener Holocaust Library and with Dr. Elizabeth Anthony from the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum.
1: I And, and in full you know, disclosure for us, those are all three graduates um, from Clark University from the program and with the three of you on board, um, that is bound to be you know, an exceptionally enriching. Project, and I can't wait to see what it comes up with um, what you come up with and I think you know it's now time you know to wrap up um, but just to remind everybody if you have not received your copy yet I would instruct you to go out go on Amazon go to Barnes & Noble go directly through Rutgers University Press to order your copy of Jewish Childhood in Krakow a micro history of the Holocaust And we hope that all of you have had an opportunity to learn a little bit more um, about Joanna's work, about this critical and understudied component of the history of the Holocaust um, and about the lives of children and youth in history. So Joanna, thank you for taking the time to speak today and thank you for writing this. Uh, We are better off that now that it exists. So thank you.
0: Adara, thank you so much uh, again for you know it's such an engaging conversation and for highlighting uh, some of the major points uh, that you know jumped at you from this uh, from this book. And that gave us an uh, opportunity to discuss them more in depth, and thank you so much for your for you know for your for your uh, kind words about the book again, thank you so much.